know you since you were a 20 I was 20 And thought that some years from now A purple little little lady Will be perfect For dirty old and useless clown So Euro 2012 train is drawing into the terminus station as the tournament rumbles on and comes to its conclusion. Have you enjoyed it so far? I, I certainly have, yeah. I think it's been excellent. Excellent tournament and the Mario Baratelli Express is definitely rumbling on now, isn't it? So I'm looking forward to the final. I think it'll be a cracking game. Not not the one I thought it would be. I guess not the one that many people thought it would be, but you got this shout right. You said Italy were looking good to win the championship. Their very first game against Spain, they had something, I thought, I, I just had a feeling that there there was the kernel of a team that could improve. It was fascinating to see their tactical approach in that first game against Spain and the fact that they really went for Spain as well, which was kind of interesting. And we'll definitely talk more about that later. But they've grown throughout the tournament. I mean, obviously, they, they should have dispatched England easily in normal time. But a combination of brave Lions defending by standing on the goal line and some wasteful finishing meant that they had to take it to penalties. But the semi-final against Germany, that, that's been the match of the tournament for me so far it was a cracking game yeah really really strong performance by Italy shall we talk a, a little bit about the quarterfinals and the semis and then we'll come on to preview the final since uh, this is our final Eurocast episode of, uh, of these championships absolutely it's our final Eurocast episode for another four years there's every chance this is our final ever Eurocast episode but you never know we might still be here doing this in four years time I guess uh, if we look back at the quarterfinals one by one, the first one, Czech Republic against Portugal, or, I mean, legitimately, all joking aside, the Czech Republic against Cristiano Ronaldo. It really was, wasn't it? Yeah, a fine, fine Ronaldo display. I guess the one where he really sort of came to life in the tournament, although he'd, he'd had a, a good game in the final group games. I thought an excellent performance by Portugal. Uh, I thought in many ways that they should have scored more. They were on top for the vast majority of the game. Just managed to squeeze through with that Ronaldo goal and deserved semi-finalists at that stage. Yeah, I mean, the Czech Republic were absolutely abysmal in that game. They offered absolutely nothing going forward. In the game against Poland, they'd really taken it to Poland and actually looked threatening and dangerous when they had the ball, but they obviously felt they were outgunned in that one and just sat back and let Portugal come on to them. And you do, you cannot do that against a team with Ronaldo in it because eventually he's going to smash one in if you just give him that much opportunity and that much chance for his confidence to grow. And he did the weird Alan Partridge celebration when he scored that goal, didn't he? Uh, I'm a tiger. Gareth Cheeseman, yeah, it was odd. I'm not quite sure what that one was about. I don't think it's been fully explained since. Interesting with uh, Portugal and, and Ronaldo there. I mean, he's had, uh, including the semi final, 37 shots uh, on goal now, miles more than anyone else in the tournament, and, and just got the three goals to show for it. I think he's hit the post four times as well, so he hit the post a couple of times in that, that fixture. So, in a way, his, his numbers for this tournament are underrepresentative of how good he's been, I think. Yeah, I mean, the the particularly notable post-hit in that game where he took the ball down as it was played in behind him and he kind of did a pirouette and slammed it against the post and then did the super rare live ball still in play flappy arms, which, you know, normally the flappy arms is when the ball's gone out of play, but no, the, the, he was he repositioned himself to be in the right place to receive a cross whilst doing the double arm flap. Yeah, the th- I'm thinking with Ronaldo, he's a fantastic winger because he's playing sort of wide in a, a 4-3-3 for 
Portugal. He's also a fantastic centre forward and has a great piece of centre forward play to take it on his chest and turn and, and get the shot away. You, you kind of think if, if Ronaldo was Spanish, this Spain team would just be so far out of sight no one would be able to touch them. I guess we'll get on to Spain, but he, he's just an awesome forward, all-round forward and, and really showing it and he, he's deserving all of the plaudits he's got in the tournament to date. Yeah, I mean, I guess if Ronaldo was Spanish, then Spain would be Barcelona because Ronaldo would be the equivalent of Messi um, to that Spanish team. You've made the Messi comparison. Messi Claxon. No, no, it wasn't a comparison at all. I was just saying he would be the he would he would make the equivalent difference of Leo Messi. All right, forgiven. But Ronaldo, Ronaldo came unstuck finally in the semi-final against Spain. We'll come on to that. But at the at the quarter-final stages, it was looking like perhaps this would be the Ronaldo tournament because the the last group game, as you said, and, and this game against the Czech Republic was certainly dominated by Ronaldo, and and he dominates that Portugal side because he's he's just a cut above. And the unfortunate thing for Portugal is this, that centre forward question remains such a huge problem because Hugo Almeida played and he looks he makes Helder Postiga look good which I'm surprised they didn't play Nelson Oliveira the, the young forward and he seems like a utility forward that can play right across the, the front line there but he's impressed me when he's come out I have to say I haven't seen loads of him in club football and um, he's actually used as a substitute by his club team quite a bit as well but there you go yeah it's it's the reason Portugal aren't able to make that next step I mean they've got loads of talent there and, and probably a more balanced squad than they've had in the past and they've grown haven't they I mean started so negative against Germany basically looking for a draw and then and then really exploded into the tournament and they could they could be an outsider in a couple of years time at the World Cup obviously difficult for European sides going to South America of course but uh, they look like they have the kernel of a very good side there don't they it's the funny thing about this tournament because I keep thinking oh well this this team could do well at the next World Cup then it's like oh no no next World Cup's in Brazil there's no point really looking at any of the teams in this tournament in terms of the next World Cup because Brazil are going to win it pretty much I think it's going to be so hard for anyone else to win it and if someone else does win it it's not going to be a European team so you, you do think this is sort of the, the teams that have got close but fallen by the wayside in this tournament are really going to regret it because it was their last chance for another four years probably to actually win a tournament so talking of teams that have come close and looked incredibly good Germany's court final performance against Greece was masterful although at one point the game was ridiculously implausibly 1-1 as your boy Georgia Samaros scored a, a very odd goal at a very odd moment in that game it was odd yeah because Germany was so massively on top of the entire game you just felt that when Greece scored it, it wasn't a case of, of Greece pulling off an unlikely win but the fact they just kicked a hornet's nest over it just it got Germany angry didn't it very angry and they started slamming in goals from all kinds of angles and distances after that fine performance I thought all round and, and at, at that stage I think we'd have said that Germany might have been marginal favourites for the tournament they were that good yeah I mean I, I put a tweet out saying team to beat after that performance because I mean just it was just the goals that that was what got me because obviously Greece aren't I mean they're tough to break down and all that but actually they're not that tough to break down they're, they're trying to be tough to break down but they're not very good at it there's, there's a slight England factor to, to Greece there they, they look sort of porous for a team that was trying to set up to defend but they did at all times have you know eight men in their own half but Germany's finishing was amazing my favourite goal in that was probably the Kadira goal because it was just unnecessarily amazing finishing because the goalkeeper wasn't in the goal 
goal at that point he could have just passed it into the net but no he like literally did a kind of Neo from the Matrix move to score that yeah and fine stuff yeah and a very impressive performance from Marco Royce as well and interesting afterwards that of course all the tabloids picked up on that and started printing Royce to Arsenal stories forgetting that six months ago he'd signed for Borussia Dortmund in a 22 million euro deal he, he's uh, an excellent young player and, and was fine in that game I thought for Germany at Awate 91 tweeting you'd have to be Tommy Carcetti to beat Royce that was impressive yeah so it was pretty easy for Germany as you say it, it kind of reminded me of when teams used to score against us do you remember when teams used to go 1-0 up against us and it was like oh didn't want to do that just going to upset Roy Keane if you do that a stunning response from Germany you're right they were angered in some way and they really went out and, and showed what they could do as a result and as has been widely pointed out Angela Merkel celebrates goals just like Fergie she does the exact same stand up air punch you know granddad looking thing yeah it's difficult for politicians isn't it I mean the Greek Prime Minister was going mental uh, not in that game in previous games uh, he, he wasn't at that game he'd had some kind of eye operation or something like that I think he just tried to avoid the photo op with Angela Merkel and yeah he, he went probably mental like a fan when Greece got out of the group stages but uh, yeah Angela Merkel yeah, a bit bit wimpy the celebration I thought oh I don't know I think she's pretty into it She's I think she's a big fan of the Manshaft I'm sure she is a big fan of the Manshaft I legitimately didn't mean any terrible I'm, I am upset with myself because I, I did not mean that now, that's a visualisation I didn't want oh god talking things we didn't want the tie of the round the pick of the ties as I said in the last podcast the worst well no probably not the worst game in the quarterfinals the the worst game in the quarterfinals that didn't feature Roy's heroic boys the the Spain France quarterfinal was just oh it was one of the most uninspiring football matches I've ever seen in my life it was very uninspiring yeah and odd I mean the pattern play was exactly as you'd expect right I mean Spain had the majority of the ball and and control the tempo and and all of that kind of stuff I guess the really disappointing thing was just how France played really and expected some more from them and especially since their style probably matches Spain the closest of any of the teams the leading teams in the tournament I mean they do try and pass and, and move the ball and retain possession and all of that kind of stuff but there was just absolutely nothing from them and and all the fallout afterwards has been interesting uh, of course um nasri went on a four-letter rant in the mix zone said some pretty offensive things to french journalists who'd, who'd been having a go at him before and during the tournament and as a result there's been another crisis in french football following this i, I guess it's a bit more individual this time rather than the whole group but yeah so limp from france and they very deserve to go out because they were so limp but not a great game at all no and i mean you know the, there's been a lot of talk about Spain and whether they're boring or not and you got a bit irate about it when when England were knocking the ball long you were like look this is boring I guess you you still quite like this Spanish side in terms of the way they play well I think there's a a massive amount of revisionism and hypocrisy going on amongst both fans and the media Uh, they're playing the same way they did two years ago and four years ago and Messi aside the same way that Barcelona do you know they retain possession four years ago and two years ago they were the best thing ever invented in football this was total football and it was a beautiful game now they're boring I think it's a load of nonsense what is boring as I said last time out is the fact that there's really no competition in the pattern of play Spain dominated so thoroughly it's not as if they haven't scored goals in this tournament they have scored goals in this tournament so what is it you know uh, are they boring because uh, there's no competition anymore are they boring because people are bored of this style of play because they're not playing any differently so all, all these journalists who've, who've said that they were the greatest thing ever a couple of years ago uh, have now completely changed their mind so uh, that, that's 
why I think it's weird. I'm not bought into the tiki-taka style as in that's the only way you can play at all. I think actually, as I said last week on last week's pod, Germany have played the best football in this tournament even though they're now out because it's exciting attacking football. And isn't that what people want to see? Exciting attacking football with talented players. Just not sure I totally agree that they're playing exactly the same way they did in the World Cup and the 2008, especially not 2008. I do think that they, they did play very much this way in the 2010 World Cup and actually didn't enjoy many of their 2010 World Cup games except perhaps the one against Chile which they were slightly more expansive I mean in 2008 Medvia and Torres both on absolutely lethal form up front and you know Via cutting in from the left and so dynamic and exciting and purposeful that there was a point you know I don't mean a reason I mean there was a tip of the spear you know so all the tick attacker led to something it, it, it created a momentum it kind of all that passing built up to a kind of explosive finish in a way that this tournament they've just I only played Busquets and Alonso so it's incredibly defensive minded all the time and they they are they look so content to win 1-0 it's just depressing to me and and I, I'm not sure I, as I said 2010 yes I'll give you that this is very much the way they played but 2008 was not was not like this you know 2008 was not so one-sided and just just that kind of just when they're on the ball they don't look like their retention of possession has overwhelmed everything else to the extent that it's just not that fun anymore and I, I, I think you know it's all very well to say it's like revisionist and I'm sure there is some of that but uh, like personally I have no highfalutin purpose to any of what I'm saying except for the fact that I was quite enjoying what Spain were doing in those previous two tournaments I'm kind of sick of it now it's like the third movie in a trilogy all the spectacle and excitement has gone out of it and yeah it's perfectly effective and they're probably going to win the tournament but still I haven't enjoyed a single game of theirs except for the game against Italy where Italy really stuck it to well them. so look look you just said it there the third in the trilogy right so is this the problem is this the problem that they're, they're probably going to win this tournament again and that's the problem or is it the style thing so they what they've done to the style it's got nothing to do with the lack of forward I mean really n- we've talked about this ad infinitum you know this is not the issue right that it is not the issue the, the real issue and the change in their style is the pace they play with in the forward areas right so instead of playing Villa and Pedro in forward areas they're playing Silva and Iniesta which is a completely different way of playing so yes they're moving the ball in a less pacey way actually in the in the semi-final when they brought Pedro on uh, and also uh, Jesus Navas that they started to play with more pace in areas and suddenly you get the commentators going oh they're playing like the Spain used to so that's a style change but effectively they're playing the same system they played with two holding players before they played this short passing game and ball retention before they there's nothing majorly different about it and I think I think the issue is two things yes they're playing slightly differently but not in a major way but they're just still winning and I think people get bored of that very quickly I think I think when we first talked about strikers at cross purposes I wasn't quite hearing what you were saying which I do now totally fully take on board you're saying it's not a formational shift it's a personnel shift and and they are legitimately playing Sesc as a nine right so so there there is a for, there there is a forward there but it's just it's Sesc right that's essentially what you were saying. Well, no, that, that's what Del Bosque was saying, right? And he was really clear about it. I mean, we're still getting across purposes here. He was really clear on that point. 
that's the first half of the point I'm making. The second half is we're now talking at cross purposes where I feel like you just said the issue is not the strikers versus no strikers. And I'm like, I'm not saying that's the issue. When I cite Torres and Villa and the tip of the spear, I don't mean because of the system. I mean because of the personnel. Because there was, and as you say, rightly say, when Navas and Pedro came on against Portugal, it all came to life again. And there was that kind of excitement and vivacity and vibe, just vivaciousness about the side. And and my problem with Spain is, is not that it's boring that they're going to win. I'm perfectly happy with that. It's that they haven't played hardly, they've played one and a half games this tournament, which I've enjoyed in a tournament where I basically enjoyed the whole thing. So it, it's like, that's not because there's no doubt about the outcome, because there was doubt about the outcome against Croatia, I think. There was definitely doubt about the outcome against Portugal. I, you know, it, it's just that it's like watching somebody put someone else in a sleeper hold and that was not my experience of watching them in previous tournaments so you might be right it might just be that people are bored because they're kind of got a short attention span and want a new narrative and this is the same narrative but to me it's like that 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 absolutely crucial difference of the lack of pace in the final third is the exact thing that's making them less exciting to watch okay but we'll see in the final I mean, we'll come to a final preview, but I think there will be no change from Spain in this final. They uh, are very unlikely, given how Italy might set up, I think they're very unlikely to, to throw on a couple of forwards, or in fact three forwards, and, and go for it like that. They they will be looking to stifle Italy in midfield, and that's not defensively stifle, but, you know, stifle their pattern of play. But let, let's talk about the final later. There was one other quarterfinal, of course. You mentioned earlier, I had tweeted that you find Spain boring. This is boring. This was England, who unbelievably turgid as a performance. And, I mean, you know, I didn't buy into the kind of Roy's Brave Lions nonsense before. Not in the slightest, you know, and obviously I get stick for that. But this was just ridiculous. The best passing combination, most brilliant stat of the, the whole tournament, this one, was Joe Hart to Andy Carroll. And he only came on after 60 minutes. So in 30 minutes, those two managed to bang the ball long repeatedly. And, and this is just basically what England did for the whole game. And, and they got worse as the game went on. And in a way, it was a real shame that Italy didn't absolutely thump England because that's what the performance and the tactical outlook deserved. I'm nodding my head like a crazy person sat in a room on my own here. Could not agree more. The worst thing about that game, the most sickening moment for me, was before the game when the three BBC pundits all picked an England win. And I was like, what What have you people been watching? The whole kind of good thing about England winning Group D was that it was a little, it was unexpected. They'd exceeded expectations. But what happened was everyone completely forgot that they'd all decided England weren't very good because before the tournament it already started to happen the thing of like expectations are so low finally the expectations are off that means they're definitely going to win now because we've lowered our expectations and and this this was like all the expectation stuff gone out the window everyone expecting England to win just pathetic kind of at- atmosphere around the game beforehand because this was still the team that that with the p- personnel that he selected I think he did a perfectly serviceable job I think the decision to play Terry instead of Rio is a very depressing one for footballing reasons and a monumentally depressing one for the other reasons but but you know it's the point at which he took Welbeck off and put Carroll on and you just thought that that's an absolute sickener because this is just going to be miserable from now on I can't remember who it was that said it but you quoted it in the live blog uh, Andy Carroll is a false big man best line I've heard his I mean I, I mentioned a few stats from Andy Carroll in the last podcast didn't I I mean his ability to hold up the ball is non-existent 
captain. I mean, I just don't, basically, I just don't get what he adds to this England side at all. Aside from you can knock it long at him and he might get his head on it, you know, but if you're not going to have a runner in behind, he's not going to get a flick on to anyone. And so then you're you're only looking for set pieces. And that, that was basically England's game plan to defend in bulk and then look for set pieces. And I think the, the criticism of England's English players afterwards that has been lumped on uh, mainly Ashley Young and Wayne Rooney, and we, you know, I guess we know all the reasons why that happened. It's completely ridiculous. This was a system set up from the start in the worst group in the tournament to not lose. And and Roy Hodgson proudly said afterwards, we didn't lose a game. No, that's right. But you weren't in danger of winning against anyone decent either. And it, it was there to save face for for Hodgson and the FA to try and not lose defenders deep as possible. Um, they sacrificed all attacking fluidity for shape. It was impossible for the attacking players to put in a decent performance uh, unless you call heading the ball in from you know impossibly long distances away a decent performance. But um, I just thought it was a complete mess of a, a system from an attacking point of view. Uh, that's the definition of boring for me. It, you know, a bunch of cloggers knocking it, banging it long. I, I don't think that's got anything uh, to do with modern attacking football. Uh, Andy Carroll can't lay the ball off to anyone. And Danny Welbeck had a fine tournament. I mean, he, he barely got the ball. I mean, across across his four games, he's had less passes than Javi would have in one game. But he's like 90-odd percent pass success. You know, he, he was very good leading the line in very difficult circumstances as well. So he comes out with some credit, but virtually nobody else does. And I mean, except, you know, England's brave defenders and all that kind of nonsense. I just I think it's good for the tournament England went out. It's, uh, the difficult part is now, right? So if you're Hodgson, uh, England may well qualify for the next World Cup because they don't have an impossibly difficult group to get out of. So you'd expect England to qualify. But they, can he develop a side that has any attacking nafs at all? I mean, I just don't see it. I mean, look at the group of personnel they've got. I think they'll go to the next World Cup looking to play exactly the same way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a horrendous thought. A few, few things about the game itself. Uh, firstly, Ashley Young coming for a lot of criticism, but the the st- I mean, uh, he was playing as uh, an LM to use football manager language, and he's not an LM. If if you know if you're playing in, f- in football manager, his LM would be like a kind of dark orange color. You know, that's just not his position. He's not a left midfielder. He's a forward who plays on the left of a three or in the middle behind the striker. It was perfectly serviceable when he played behind the striker in that first game against France. Sixty mm. percent of uh, Ashley Young's touches came in his own half, right? And th- that tells a real story, doesn't it? And you know he. Was getting the ball in defensive positions and having to run up blind alleys all the time. But before I get accused of being just a massive United apologist, I thought Rooney, that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen Rooney put in. I thought everything he did was terrible. He looked exhausted. Yeah. It was never going to work. Bringing Rooney on in that last group game to try and kind of spur him into the tournament and inject him as this kind of wild card factor into the rest of the tournament, they would have been better off leaving him at home and building the side around the forwards that were going to be there throughout the whole thing. Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Another thing, another way of looking at it was to not left him on the bench for the warm-up games. He should have played in some of those warm-up games. Here's the reason why that happened, right? Roy Hodgson set out to create an England side that was not going to lose and the the best, most wild expectations were getting out of the group, right? So that's why he set it up like that. If you wanted to go further in the tournament and and have a, a team in the system that could potentially challenge the leading nations, he should have played Rooney in some of those friendly games, kept him fit and fresh and so the best player in the England side best player by some distance could affect games in the, the latter part of the tournament but the fact is I mean he had a terrible game in, against Italy he just looked all over the place he didn't look fit at all because he hadn't played for five weeks apart from that, that Ukraine game you know it's not surprising I mean we've seen him he's probably running on adrenaline against Ukraine and we've seen him at United when he's come back from injury he ta- 
takes a while to get into games. And this was an injury, but he hadn't played for six weeks, five, six weeks. He had a terrible game against Ukraine as well. Terrible. He got he got the goal, but it was a four, five out of ten at best. I legitimately think if you were giving him an honest score out of ten in that Italy game, you'd give him two out of ten, bump it up to three because he took his penalty brilliantly. I thought he was nailed on to miss that penalty, how tired he looked. But he dug in and there, there was the adrenaline there. A stun- stunningly hit penalty. It's interesting as well, Hodgson saying that England didn't lose a single game. But that, that penalty shootout was seriously lost. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like that England got unlucky in that penalty shootout. Andre Perlo destroyed Joe Hart's confidence, just sent a kind of momentum shift down through the heart of that penalty shootout with that penalty. Well, he said afterwards, he, he well, paraphrasing here, but basically that he took Joe Hart down a peg or two. Yeah. deliberately so yeah. uh, because he was being cocky and making faces and all of that kind of stuff and you know too right I think he was amazing right it's it's uh, as, as has been said so many times a shame England haven't got a world class genius ageing central midfielder who could ping the ball about for fun and never lose his possession <laughs> yeah well the whole thing about England this tournament depresses me you know and, and it's, it's not just the way that England played uh, which I have find felt any inspiration in whatsoever it's, uh, it's the whole circus surrounding England the fact that people are actually proud of how this England team played we could have had um, with you know a few personnel changes and a style change a, a perfectly legitimate England side that would have played some decent football probably still gone out of the quarter final stage you know and and the, there's no reason why uh, the you know, with a few personnel changes and the change a slight change in formation this England side couldn't have played some decent football doesn't mean they were world beaters doesn't mean they were ever uh, had good enough players to go out and, and, and take on Italy and Spain and Germany and stuff like that but they could have at least played some decent football and and the fact is that he just Roy Hodgson just wanted grafters right he, he turned uh, Gerard into a grafter and Gerard had a half decent tournament uh, he put Scott Parker in there he's miles away from being international class you know despite all the ridiculous awards got he's just miles away you know and he's he's played Ashley Young out of miles out of position and he's played James Milner who's basically a central midfielder and played him on the right to protect Glenn Johnson who had an awful tournament uh, you know it, the, the whole thing has been a complete mess from start to finish and uh, but Roy Hodgson has saved some face by his quote not losing yeah no absolutely and and I'm pretty sure that that is enough about talking about stupid England isn't it they were they were depressing all tournament and they've got a lot of United players and we're both in England so we're perhaps better placed to discuss the kind of world around England than we are with different sides but but yeah they, they were depressing and I, I was also pretty glad when they didn't win that penalty shootout because it would have been a kind of massive travesty if they had won that penalty shootout that would have meant that they that Germany would definitely be in the final against Spain though but Italy won the penalty shootout and, and that brings us on to the semi-finals I mean there were no huge shocks in the quarterfinals I think the favourites won every single game in in that uh, in those quarterfinals which I guess that's pretty unusual but the semi-finals didn't quite go to form uh, Portugal versus Spain was an odd game I really really enjoyed the first half of that when Portugal really seized the mantle and they, they the Spanish did not look like they liked it up them frankly <laughs> They, they didn't like it when Portugal were kind of attacking and sp- some of Spain's passing looked a bit hurried. Well, it was depressing, right? So, so um, yeah, Portugal attacked when they could get the ball. I mean, still only had the ball 40% of the time, but kind of what we expect, isn't it, in, in, when Spain are playing. But Portugal attacked with some verve, and but they pressed in defence, and they pressed in defence really, really well, and, and it, it meant uh, Spain's uh, passing accuracy dropped somewhat. It was only 85%, which, you know, Roy Hodgson has wet dreams about um, having an England side that can do 
exactly that. Sixty-seven percent, by the way, for England is uh, you know, quite shocking, really. But but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Portugal took the game to Spain in, on two levels. One, they were prepared to throw a load of players forward when they were attacking on the break, and two, they pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed. You know, and and they managed to keep that up for most of the game as well. It's so you think United 2011 Champions League final managed to press for about ten minutes and then gave up, and, and but this Portuguese side didn't, and they they deserved to take Spain all the way in that game. First ten minutes, both of that game and the England game actually reminded me of that 2011 Champions League final because England had a decent 10 minute spell in the first 10 minutes of the Italy game but they, they definitely gave up but Portugal did not give up I kind of thought it was going to happen but but it didn't they they genuinely rattled Spain and of course Ronnie should have won it the the ball as everyone has said in the last minute was kind of a little behind him from Morelish but people are kind of saying it was a bad pass but I, I actually think if you look where the defender is he doesn't have the angle to play it in front of Ronaldo unless he loops it past the defender but I'm not sure there's enough space for him to kind of bend the ball around into Ronaldo so he plays it half a step behind Ronaldo but he's still got absolutely acres of space once he's taken the got the ball back into his stride and set himself and then destiny was was not on the side of Cristiano Ronaldo as he so clearly believes it should be and the ball went flying over the bar for most players that that excuse of and uh, the ball's half yard behind him uh, would be legitimate and it, it made it a difficult chance but for Ronaldo who's got 60 goals this season that was a good chance right and that, so you know you judge him by different standards I guess because of, because of his quality and so yeah he, he could have won the game there for Portugal and, and uh, I'm sure he'll regret that one because a player of his quality it might have been on his left side but really shoots with the same power off both feet and, and could have done better But and, and then of course the controversy surrounding the, the fifth penalty that never happened for Portugal and, and the fact that it seems that Ronaldo uh, either was asked to or said he wanted to take the fifth penalty so you know is this his ego rampant ego at play here wanting all the glory of winning it or as he's tried to argue it seems did the coach say will you take the fifth penalty and he said yes it's interesting because you wonder when it becomes clear that they need the fourth penalty to go in you can't shift the order around I mean they, they kind of shifted the order around as it was because Bruno Alves went up to take the penalty in in the wrong spot and Nani went up and took it off him which was it's a very odd thing because he psyched himself up to take the pen to, to kind of stop him and say nope nope it's my turn now it's just it, the whole thing had a very surreal atmosphere didn't it clearly Portugal made some mistakes in there didn't they in the, in the penalty sheet it's, it's weird I mean we have this debate at every tournament because there, there will always be one or two penalty shootouts and, and it's got almost nothing to do with the game it's a mental exercise I mean any any professional player can put the ball in the top corner from 12 yards you know, except when they're under huge amounts of pressure interesting actually not to go back to England too much but Hodgson said afterwards oh, you know we practice all the time but you can't replicate the stress and the fatigue well you can replicate the fatigue it's called fatigue training and actually most uh, many professional sports do that because it's about being mentally prepared when you are knackered uh, and and so it'd be interesting to see whether they did that I know they took a lot of penalties at, at the end of training sessions what you can't do is replicate the pressure of the situation it does funny things to really top players don't, doesn't it and they start behaving really strangely and um, my god Nanny I, I thought he was nailed on to miss that penalty when he sort of stutter stepped upwards uh, when I see that one players either running up straight or taking a ridiculously short run up or stuttering you kind of think they're going to miss but he then went and slammed it in the top corner yeah he certainly did uh, he's an odd 
kettle of fish, Nanny. He's uh, he's had a weird tournament, very uppy downy. Just I guess as you would expect from Nanny, really phenomenal effectiveness sometimes, and then just he's just Nanny, and he he's not on that level of consistent application. But but he does consistently make a difference for the teams he plays for. Yeah, well, he's. I mean, I think you're right about the performances. They've been up and down. He didn't have a good semi final, but he had you know before that three really good games. I thought, and but his numbers look great. I mean, he creates lots and lots of chances for his teammates. He gets lots of assists. He didn't really score, did he, in this tournament? But I think overall he's had a pretty good tournament. It's just that consistency thing. And after, what, five years at Old Trafford, we know that he probably will never be able to consistently perform. But he consistently puts up good numbers and and that's why he gets a game all the time. I mean, I'm I'm reading Soconomics at the moment and that's what it's all about, isn't it? As fans, you kind of watch it and go, oh, Nanny's inconsistent because he does make mistakes a lot during games. But he's not inconsistent at all in terms of his output. He's incredible. He's a numbers machine. He gets, he, he makes goals happen for your team. It's just that they won't necessarily happen at the exact crucial moment where you desperately need them to and he's got a really good opportunity. That That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a fair assessment. That semi-final was not the best spectacle, especially the, the kind of first two-thirds of the second half, really very sort of slow and, and Portugal did finally run out of steam. But I am so in love with football after the semi-final between Germany and Italy. It was just a feast for the eyes for for the neutral. It was, it was bizarre in a way, Germany, how, how badly they defended because we hadn't expected that I mean they they defended really well throughout the tournament and Italy took the game to them uh, obvious, obviously you know then they, uh, their number one pass it, it seems is Pirlo from deep through the centre the Balotelli and it, it worked against England uh, almost and it definitely worked, worked against Germany I was surprised how badly they defended Germany and they were caught out by that ball uh, repeatedly not just for the goals Balotelli's stunning second there but throughout the game and, and then of course they had to attack after they, they went to down and it made for a really really stunning game yeah and I mean you know you really felt for Germany because they did offer this tournament so much and they never quite hit the top form that we expected they would except in that game against Greece uh, once they once it got to one all but Greece are not the most sterling opposition but yeah I mean Andrea Perlo the final that I don't know what to say I don't I legitimately don't know how to offer any useful analysis of that game last night except to say if you didn't watch it and you like football do yourself a favour and watch a recording of it because it was just so much fun like Italy's passing was wonderful Perlo the player of the tournament so far there's you know he's he's a shoe in for player of the tournament I think depending on how the final goes I guess but but he's just been he's been skulls esque his his passing has been completely and utterly magnificent and no team has properly managed to pressure him out of effectiveness he has been magnificent for the last 10 years it's funny how uh, I guess you know our English audiences have only just worked it out but but I mean yeah that's that's how he that's how he's been for forever you know he started off very early in his career as a more attacking player but uh, was moved back quite early on and he's been playing that quarterback role for the last 10 years at a ridiculously high level I mean Milan certainly made a mistake letting him go and it was Juve's game and his renaissance with Juve has, has led to a renaissance with Italy as well and actually you've got to say with Italy I mean given the mess they were at the World Cup when they finished below New Zealand in their, their group that Prandelli has done a really excellent job and he's he's turned them into not a traditional Italian side you know, I read one piece saying they play with rhythm and I thought that was really good 
description because they do there's a flow to their game and, and they reflect Serie A at the moment which is not a defensive league it's a very attacking league at the moment with a lot of innovative tactics we saw that early on in the tournament Italy playing three at the back for that game against Spain be interesting to see whether they do it in the final and and it's they are nice to watch as a result I mean they're conservative in that they don't throw six players forward at every attack uh, and that's that's you know it's legitimate to say that unlike Germany who do throw loads of players forward but they're very very effective with the, the players that they do use in forward areas and they keep two two forwards on the pitch at all times Cassano and Balotelli have been excellent and, and certainly were against Germany and, and they, they deserve their place in the final Italy I mean for their performance uh, against Germany Well I mean Cassano and Balotelli have had a very mixed tournament both of them because they were stunning against Germany they linked up beautifully for Balotelli's first a wonderful bit of business from Cassano with the, the kind of spin and, and just an absolute bullet of a header from Balotelli but they have had very rough patches I mean Cassano's had a pretty poor tournament a lot of the time their movement and stuff's been affected but their finishing's been patchy I mean the, England should have got absolutely buried and they would have done if, if Balotelli had had his shooting boots on but he, he's kind of peaked late in this tournament Balotelli and and you know it's interesting about the, the not throwing players forward a Balotelli genuinely means you don't have to throw that many players forward because he's so enormous you know he occupies the attention of more defenders than a normal man Balotelli because he's got he, he has got that kind of charisma and larger than life presence as well as being as he was keen to demonstrate to the world a, a unit of considerable proportions you know so he does he does occupy the attention he's so fast and so strong and when he's on his game so so effective yeah there's an inconsistency there in that, in that he doesn't always provide the end product for, for all the talent he's got and, and he doesn't always legitimately look like he wants to do it either I mean he's definitely up for it in that semi-final and that, that second goal was a, a fantastic finish I mean right into the top corner of course the way he hit it it could have gone into the top corner or hit Rosette uh, I mean you know it's such a fine margin between between the two things there and I guess if you decide to put your foot through it really put your foot through it and there's no chance for the keeper with that finish no, it's, a, it's interesting that the kind of he, whether he wants it or not. He's a fascinating character uh, to me, not in the PR sense. The you know the whole thing about him going to that school was not true, and there's loads of nonsense written about Balotelli. Uh, Musa Okwanga wrote a really interesting piece about our definition of of Balotelli and in relation to Gascoigne as well. That we kind of Bobby Robson said that thing about Gascoigne that he didn't underachieve for his talent; he massively overachieved for. His his personality type and we tend to sort of think about Balotelli like oh he's he's fine but he's a nutter you know he's if only he wasn't so stupid and idiotic and all that kind of stuff then then he could be a real great but it's actually the man is has has genuine human personal issues which are not that don't go away because you become a millionaire footballer the idea that money doesn't buy happiness or sanity is is not some hippie myth it's the absolute truth uh, and and actually to hold it together long enough to forge a career and professional football and have any chance to express your talent is something sort of admirable for a person with that level of personal challenge the fact is it, it looks to me like he much 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 prefers Italy to Man City wouldn't you? <laughs> I would I really would I do <laughs> well yes quite so I mean Germany interesting where they go from here because they've got such a young vibrant side and, and everyone's been full of praise for the way they reorganise football in Germany and, and produce all these talented players and the depth of talent in their squad is incredible but uh, as we mentioned earlier, it'll be really difficult for them to do anything in the next World Cup because it's in Brazil and there's massive distances between cities and the heat and the fact that no European team has ever won South America. And all of that kind of means 
uh, four years' time in, in France is probably their big opportunity to win a tournament. And of course, by then, a lot of these young players will be much more mature and it'll be a very different side. So I guess they'll leave this tournament feeling that they've missed out on a really big opportunity to, to win for the first time since 96. Yeah, I mean, this was this was their tournament, wasn't it? It was this generation's tournament. The I mean, how old was Feinsteiger being? Four years? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, how... quite. He'll be, he'll be well past his peak and then they'll have to find a, a you know a new general in the midfield I guess I mean there are plenty of players that are in the 22-23 sort of age range Royce, Cruz, Ozil Neuer the goalkeeper so they've got lots and lots of young players there in Hummels that legitimately probably have the, the central defender of the tournament has really emerged in this tournament so they've, they've got the nucleus of a really good side as I said they've got loads of quality in depth in their squad how that how that matures and changes over the next four years will, will determine whether they, they uh, will have a shot at the Euros in 2016 but I think you're right I think this was their tournament and I think they'll go home regretting that they haven't won it so what do you think happened to them in that game why, why did they defended badly yeah they uh, bad Stuber had a bad game I, I actually both of those uh, were on his side I mean, they had plenty of the game, right? Let's. I don't think we should pretend that Italy were on top for the entire game. It was a it, the the good thing, the reason why that was exciting in the game. There was a lot of ebb and flow to it, so they had plenty of the game. They they couldn't score the goals in forward areas that they might have done in other games, and and they defended badly. And there you go. Details matter in football, don't they? And I think they'll regret those details a lot. Yeah, and Italy defended extremely well. Uh, handled at uh, the Meza Özil is an incredible player, isn't he? I mean, it's 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 not quite happened for him for him in this tournament, but when he's been on it, he's been staggering to watch well he dictates Germany's play so he's he's he get, it goes through him all the time it doesn't really matter where he plays he has such a loose role that he can he runs into the channels quite a bit and, and also dictates from the centre of play but from the centre of the field but it's the tempo that he creates for Germany that's uh, so important he's had a fabulous season around Madrid and a really good tournament uh, not quite happened uh, you know, as as you said before the narrative is written uh, in terms of who wins and the big games and, and uh, you know because of that and because he wasn't able to influence the that game in the way that say Pirlo was he's he's definitely not the player of the tournament but he's had a fine tournament overall he has I thought it was a peculiar decision by Yogi Love to take Mario Gomez off at half time because I either don't pick him or leave him on for 60-75 minutes there was some indecision wasn't there in forward areas I mean he, he dropped Gomez for the last group game and he's, he's kind of rotated the two of them and I think I think that's affected Germany as well yeah yeah absolutely so I wonder if some of the blame needs to be laid laid at Jürgi's door is he going to stay and, and manage Germany it, it appears so yeah I mean uh, Bert van Marwijk's gone from Holland but I, I don't think I don't think that uh, Love will throw, uh, fall on his sword in quite the same way I and mean, there's no real reason to you know it's okay the expectations were very high in Germany expectations were they win the tournament there's what was that the poll beforehand three quarters of the German population believed that Germany were going to win the tournament so very very high expectations there and and as a result he might be under some pressure but yeah they've, they've got a really good side and they lost in the details and and I don't think that's a good reason to to go it makes sense for him to stay on but we'll see I mean I guess you know uh, coaches go for less don't they they do I wonder it's, it's fascinating because I think if you keep him for the World Cup you kind of have to know that he wants to be there for the next Euros I just think it's a really odd time for European teams because that World Cup in Brazil it's not just in South America you know if it was in Chile it would be still everyone would be saying well that's going to be very difficult but there's something about the fact that it's in Brazil that there can't be a harder place to go and win a World Cup unless you're Brazil right yeah I guess we'll get on to the World Cup when we do World Cup rank cast in a couple of years time <laughs> so let's talk 
about that final and it's coming it's exciting the game of the tournament so far for me uh, that that Italy Germany semi-final but perhaps the my second favorite game of this tournament was that opening round of fixtures game between Spain and Italy the one all draw the three at the back versus the false nine are we going to see the same formations again it's so exciting yes yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to call isn't it because if you're Spain he's I mean he played Negredo in the semi-final and he didn't have a great game and he Negredo is a legitimate forward but he still played as the false nine I mean you look how deep he came uh, so often in that semi-final so I'm sure they'll play the same system I don't think there'll be any change in that from Spain um, will he play Sesc up there if I was betting I would say that you know it's two to one that he'll he'll play Sesc instead of Torres or Negredo or Lorente who isn't even plan Z at the moment is he Lorente I feel sorry for him in the way he's just kind of seeing it out on the bench but if they do that there'll be three Italian defenders if if Italy pick three they've only actually done it in that one game so far so if Italy do the same tactics and pick three there'll be three Italian defenders doing nothing and and that's that's a tactical issue for Italy so I again guessing you know I, I would say that Spain will play Sesc up there and Italy will go with a flat back four in order to negate that because otherwise they, they've got a spare man there that they're wasting and they'll put him into midfield yeah I think so too I think they'll put De Rossi into midfield but also the fact that Chiellini's injured makes it harder for them to play well or might be injured is, is a doubt I guess makes it harder for them to play that back three I, I, I'm super excited about this one because Italy looked completely undaunted by Spain in that first game and I think their confidence must be sky high uh, they, they really are playing like a team without any fear because that Germany team is an intimidating team to play against if you're going to be intimidated by anyone they're, they're just as likely to intimidate you as anyone and they do seem to have kind of you know they've got Perlo's the ultimate general they've got Balotelli who is many things but a scaredy cat is not one of them and and nor nor is like him and him and Cassano are not exactly shy about their own abilities you know and how they stack up against other teams so I, I think I think Italy have got every chance Spain are obviously favourites because they're the world champions they're the European champions their their level of ball retention is unsurpassed in the history of football I don't know if that's true uh, because I know nothing about 1890s football but you know they probably keep the ball better since Scotland in when they first invented passing you know I think you've got some really salient points there Italy are confident and they're confident not just confident because they're a confident side at the moment they're confident in playing Spain and, and uh, I think they'll have taken a lot out of that first that, that first game I don't think the pattern of the play will change that much I mean Spain will have a lot of the ball because that's just how they play are Italy going to be more decisive with the 40% of possession they get than, uh, than Spain are with the 60 odd percent of possession that they get you could say they might well be. I mean, if you look at the, the patterns of play in the tournament today, Italy have the tools to do some damage with that smaller amount of possession. Uh, it's going to make a big difference who scores the first goal. It always does in these big games, but Spain score that first goal. They're going to suffocate Italy by retaining the ball forever, aren't they? And Italy score that first goal. Spain have got to react. And does Spain react by throwing on Pedro and Navas and Torres and uh, and perhaps sacrificing some of that ball possession for a bit more penetration in the final third? Or are they patient, which they always are, right up until the end? I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's a fascinating battle, both of you know, in terms of the personnel and the players and, and the tactical side of things. And it, it should be a really good game. It certainly was last time out. Do you have a team that you would rather want? Do you have a team you like more? No, I don't, I don't think so. I want a good game with lots of attacking football and chance 
chances and, and all of that kind of stuff. I just hope it's a good game. I'd, I'd like it to not go to penalties. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the only way I'd like it to go to penalties is if someone like equalises to make it four all in the last minute of extra time or something. Um, <laughs> fairly unlikely, but you never know. I, I would either like Italy to win or Spain to kind of make everyone fall in love with them again by by adding a bit of you know adding that kind of final third dynamism to their to their glorious technical ability re-adding that final third dynamism back into the side but I've I've kind of really got a bit of a man crush on on Italy really I I really like the way they play in that that game against Spain as I said on the podcast I I kind of had a sneaky feeling at that point that they were going to win the tournament which seemed like a massive long shot at the time but now obviously they're in the final and and they've just got a phenomenal chance I mean Spain definitely favourites there's no no doubt about that I think they're legitimately favourites because of all I've I've just said there about how the pattern of play will, will go and, and of course, they, you know, they neither win, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that does count for something. And I think you expect the big players to perform big on the in the biggest game. And, and uh, all those Spanish players have been used to doing that. And if they do go with that sort of you know, false nine with, with Sesc up there up front and, and uh, Iniesta and Silva in the wide areas rather than, say, Pedro and Navas, they've got those players to throw on at the end. And they can change the game if they want. You know? And uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case with Italy. I mean, their big substitution is to bring Di Natale on and he's not really impact player so I think all of those things I think the fact that Spain will keep the ball more they've got the big players who are used to doing it and they've got more off the bench meaning their favourites doesn't mean I think they're definitely going to win I, I think they probably will win but it doesn't mean they're definitely going to win they're narrow favourites okay so I guess um, since it's the last episode of the Eurocast uh, first of all thank you very much everyone that's listened to this we've had a few weird technical hiccups getting the show out but hopefully all that's resolved and I tell you what it'll definitely be resolved by the time we come back for the new season for the proper actual legitimate rant cast um, but I, I suppose we should look back on the tournament as a whole pick a few key moments um, goal of the tournament for you Ed I think it's a close call between uh, Ibrahimovic's flying volley and Mario Balotelli's flying volley how about those two uh, they, were, they were both sumptuous of course I've got to give it to Ibra because he's, he's, he's Zlatan Ibrahimovic and, and also I legitimately preferred that technique staggering absolutely kind of just what a goal what a man what a Zlatan and then I guess favourite defensive performance of the tournament most impressive defender well Hummels for Germany I think he's been outstanding I mean it's his breakthrough tournament in that he's it's the first time he's really been first choice for a German side at a tournament I don't think it's a breakthrough in, in that he's been you know he's double German uh, champion with Borussia Dortmund and has been outstanding so it's not like he's new to anyone but uh, I think he's been uh, outstanding he's great on the ball he's great off the ball he can pass head loads of pace he's a complete all-round defender uh, Fergie sign him up yeah I mean he's there's no doubt he's the the defender of the tournament as a whole although my favorite individual defensive performance was probably De Rossi against Spain in that first game mostly because of the sleeves but not entirely because of the sleeves seeing him as the, the most cultured ever Swede you know, and, that, and that's saying something. Actually, it's probably also not true because there's been some hella cultured sweepers. But he, he he was just wonderful in that game, and it was lovely to see that role, which has completely disappeared from the game, suddenly come back. Well, it hasn't disappeared in Italy. Quite a few teams play with three. Uh, the interesting thing about that, I mean, obviously a midfielder with a you know kind of slightly defensive bent on him, and moving into the back three with such ease hasn't always been the case. I mean, remember everyone used to talk about how Roy King could do it, and then uh, had a couple of games where he had a bit of a nightmare in the back for their 
So not all midfielders of that kind of type can do it. De Rossi did it. It looked like he'd been doing it all his life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess this is the wrong order, but goalkeeper of the tournament. Well, Casillas, because he's just excellent all the time. Uh, he doesn't ever make a mistake. Neuer made no mistakes. Buffon, uh, the command uh, of that back three or back four has been outstanding. I mean, he's been around forever now, Buffon, hasn't he? I mean, he's emerged as a 17-year-old and he's got about 400 caps for Italy. He just, just looks in complete command of, of uh, his situation. Hearts, definitely not. Uh, had actually a pretty average tournament, I thought. You know, he made a flapped at quite a few crosses and punched when he shouldn't have done. Yeah, uh, he did the classic Joe Hart thing that Oate always talks about of knocking the ball out to a dangerous position instead of clearing it uh, right or left. I think actually Buffon had a slightly dodgy game against Germany. He did a lot of like very good commanding type things, but there were just a few moments where he got a little bit fortunate, I thought. He, he maybe even, I know this is heresy, slightly flapped at a couple of things. Uh, obviously, Manuel Neuer gets goalkeeper of the tournament because he'd done a diving header in the centre circle. You're going to have to go a long way to beat that as far as I'm concerned. Desperation stuff that was, wasn't it? Yeah. So midfielder of the tournament is Andrea Perlo. There's there's no doubt. This is all with the exception of the final. We don't know what's happening in the final, of course. And it's a very silly time to give out these kind of awards. But it's, you know, with, because the final is often some of the most memorable moments of the tournament. Who's been your favourite centre forward this tournament? Not necessarily the best, but the one you've enjoyed watching the most. Well, that, that's a difficult one because, I mean, I guess uh, you'd say Ronaldo, if, if you can call him a centre forward. I mean, he's played left side of that three, but everything goes through him. So he's, he's definitely the pivotal part of that Portuguese side. So, I mean, I think he's been outstanding. Funnily enough, the centre forwards for the other major nations have been up and down. I mean, we talked about Gomez. He started the tournament well. Hasn't had a good knockout phase, has he? And Balotelli up and down, very up and down. Had had some stinkers in there as well as some fine goals. Spain haven't got a centre forward as such, as we've <laughs> discussed many, many times. France, Benzema was pretty terrible for the whole tournament, really. I mean, he had a real stinker, didn't he? And, and I think I might have actually said he, he was uh, one of my choices of potential players of the tournament. Like pre-tournament, well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? So, I mean, you know, I guess Cristiano, if I can crowbar him into to being a centre forward for that one. Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo was definitely the forward player I enjoyed watching the most, and he, he, you certainly couldn't call him a midfielder, could you? Otherwise, honourable mention, as you said earlier, Danny Welbeck was a, a shining light in an otherwise dreadful England side, and a very special moment watching him score that winner against Sweden with the absolute mad skills. Brilliant goal, brilliant goal, brilliant moment for Welbeck. Had a fine tournament, I thought, in a very, very, very defensive side. Hopefully he grows from here. He's got to add goals to his game to be uh, the sort of, you know, tournament winning uh, player that he could become. But we'll, we'll see. He really does need to add those goals. Though. I mean, want one goal in four games for Welbeck. And, uh, but a uh, great goal and he'll grow loads from that. Well, that's that's what I mean about kind of the narrative, to use that word again, about Welbeck is definitely that he needs to score more. But in this tournament, it would have been extremely hard for him to score more. That's the, that's the only point I'm making. But if you want a striker to lead the line, he is the man. So um, I, I've really, really enjoyed this tournament. Slight disappointment that there's been no extraordinary mullets on display. But but there have been some very, very fine, ridiculous haircuts. Uh, Balotelli's odd little spiky thing that he's got going on. Welbeck's legendary flat top. Uh, Rooney's absolutely bizarre, shocking, odd hairdo. Some fine, you know, Japanese manga style haircuts amongst the Eastern European teams. They seem to have replaced the, the mullet in, in the love of the hearts of the Eastern European peoples <laughs> yes well it's very important isn't it I think the quality of the tournament as a whole has been very high and much more attacking than South Africa two years ago and it's been a re- it's been just a really good tournament 30 games in there's been very few poor 
games. Most of the poor games have involved England, unfortunately. And uh, the quality has been very high. There's been no one tactical system that has dominated. Most of the teams have gone out to try and attack. Some massive disappointments, of course, France and Holland. Hugely disappointing. There'll be disappointment in Germany that they didn't uh, take the chance to, to win this tournament because this was, as we said, their tournament. And one game to go. And, and yeah, it's hard to call this one. But I think overall it's been a, it's been a really, really high quality tournament. So I guess it's time to nail our colours to the mast and go for predictions. I've already said, I said in in week one of the tournament, I thought Italy would win and I'm not going to back down now. Uh, So I think a 2-1 victory for Italy. But I I do think they have to score first for that to come to pass. I think it'd be very difficult for them to come from behind. Yeah, I think 1-0 to Spain and I think Spain will score late in that game after a very, very tight, intense game. Okay, well, I I hope it's free-flowing and attacking tight, intense football. No, No such thing is there. And I guess that that's it I mean thank you very much as I said for joining us if you uh, want to shout us any comments or questions over the holidays you can get me at UTD Rantcast and get Ed at United Rant you can always find us on Facebook by clicking like on United Rant you can post comments on unitedrant.co.uk where there'll be endless high quality analysis between here and the start of the new season about all things Manchester United as there always is yes thanks for joining us it's, it's been uh, somewhat of an experiment here at Rant obviously we're a Manchester United focused website and podcast to rarely get the opportunity to do international games. In fact, we normally take a break during international week. So it's been some something of a diversion. It's been nice to chat about just general football, obviously with a slight Manchester United touch on it. And, and over on the site, we've had a bit of an experiment too and done live blogging on not all of the games, but, you know, maybe about half of the games. And that's been fun too. And it's been good to have your feedback. Shoot us any feedback if you can. We'd like to know whether you'd like to see more of that. And I uh, hope you enjoy the final. We'll be live blogging the final too. If you fancy joining us there. Absolutely, and for now, it's time for us to open that closet and get our purple shirts and fold them up neatly and put them away and get ready to wear with pride the Bebe 7 Manchester United shirt as United roll back into town. Pre-season starts in, what, a, a month and a bit, Ed? Everyone's back in training on Monday, so um, they, that's it. We'll build up to the new season, so Monday and then games uh, at the end of July in South Africa, two in South Africa, two in China, and then back to Oslo for a game and then uh, I think uh, United just announced a, a fixture against Barcelona so you know pretty lengthy pre-season tour before the real thing starts again August the 18th for the first Premier League game and we'll be back just before that it's going to be it's going to be good to talk about United again it's time for us to stop wearing purple oh go on then just one more time start wearing purple wearing purple Start wearing purple for me now All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish I promise It's just a matter of time So yeah Start wearing purple, wearing purple Since you were a 20 I was 20 And thought that some years from now A purple little little lady Will be perfect For dirty old and useless clown So yeah
from Diogenes to the Foucault From Ложицкин to Passport And I'm going to kiss you in two hands What are you? 